When a woman decides to pursue a career in entertainment, she, they, submit themselves to social, career, and life change challenges. Each category of challenge is too often initiated and led by a man. Dr. Whiteman interviews Pam Renal and Shelley Maxwell, two talented females who have demonstrated talented talent as actors, executives, and entrepreneurs. Mindset moments become part of their foundational career profile that Dr. Whiteman references during their discussion about talented female professionals who are disrespected and compromised. Coach Whiteman equates Pam and Shelley's challenges to a linebacker who's not allowed to use their hands when tackling. Even with such limitations and obstacles, Pam and Shelley have excelled in a very competitive industry. This is 360 Performance with Dr. Whiteman. I'm glad you both made the, the connections as, as I led off with the family side of things. And I'm going to reference family as it relates to gratitude because it's foundational. It's just like an anchor, you know, it's like a key brick to the mortar that creates the definition of your life. Um, I, I really, I really love that, that connection between the three of us. Now I know, I know Pam, you better than I know Shelly, but in, in knowing you both, uh, I'm getting the sense that, you know, family has its um, moments where it tests your courage <laughs> and it gives you... Yeah, but, but then, you know, in those moments when you're kind of frowning and, and growling at people, then you walk away and you reflect historically, oh, you remember when we did that? <laughs> so there's always the, fa the family brings you a smile on your face. Not always at the moment you want it, but eventually when you reflect back on it, it was all good stuff. It was all good stuff. So I'm going to talk about good stuff, but I'm going to start off with re restating the theme. It's about man's role and understanding and relating to women's power. We don't understand it. I, I'll tell you what I've said to my son, my grandsons, because they're old enough now to understand. I tell them men are stupid and they laugh and they think it's funny. And I say, well, guys, here's what I mean by that. You have to listen. You have to be aware of the people around you with the intention of understanding them before you ask to be understood. And that is a simple definition of empathic listening. But here are some men who didn't quite get it. <laughs> they haven't gotten it. And they made a list. They got a list. They got on the list of men who don't who don't understand women and find themselves in positions. Well, that has to be one heck of a long list. Well, it is, but I'm going to give you some highlights. Like, for example, Matt Lauer. Matt Lauer's response to how he doesn't get women is that it was consensual. That was Matt Lauer's responses. I paraphrase, but it seems poignant. Another one is Tony Robbins. Tony Robbins' response to not understanding women's power and how he needs to respect that was, I've been misrepresented by men. And my methods, you may not under not everybody can understand my methods. So when you come to my classes, you, you might not, you may be misunderstanding things. <laughs> and then there's another one, Luke Walton. Basketball player in the NBA, then eventually a basketball coach, head coach for the Los Angeles Lakers. It's regretful. I can only imagine what his dad had said to him when he discovered the behavior of his son. Because fortunately, I am fortunate. I know, I know Bill Walton. I don't know his son Luke that well, but I know what his, his dad's expectations are because of the coaches that Bill had as a player at US UCLA. Um, then there's a, a gentleman that many may not know about is AJ Calloway. But his, as a, as a man of color, 
he he really pushed the envelope of understanding of what but men of color are trying to get away from as the paradigm of who they are like exposing yourself your genitals to a, a female in a limousine thought that was okay you know that was that was so he had exposure <laughs> and then he proceeds to deny it um, <laughs> now I'll, yes exactly of course I'll end with Jamie Foxx on the list Jamie Foxx has been accused and he is confident still pending he is still confident that his facts and recall will um, clear him of any of the accusations that have been thrown his way but I end and I end with Jamie because that typically seems to be the rationale for men well that wasn't me that was a figment of my imagination or yours that defined who I who was there with you and did those dastardly deeds so let's compare and contrast let's put a list together of those men who have publicly in writing in some cases supported the power of women for example the Ethiopian Prime Minister Abi Ahmed Abi Ahmed actually went in front of international crowds and and put his his himself and his career on the line and stated publicly the the support in contradiction to the the law and legislation in Ethiopia in benefiting and supporting women's rights and the the social equality that they needed another one to follow that up recently of course UN Secretary General Antonio Gutierrez he came right out and said these things that I've experienced are wrong and we need to change them here's one by just the monikers number 41 POTUS or number 44 POTUS we all know who that is Barack Obama has been more than vocal over the years about well I, I'm guessing if he doesn't he's gonna get some some pushback at home but he has been openly supportive of the role of women in business in culture in the arts in being able to understand their power another one because this gentleman number 30 not number 44 but number 30 on the Golden State Warriors that's Steph Curry he and his wife are, are beautiful partners and examples of the the understanding and the respect that men should exemplify towards women and quite honestly back at you if you give the respect you get the respect and equal get the respect in equal portions his wife as a as a uh, public figure a world-class chef they have collaborated together in that food space as does and has John Legend singer songwriter actor married to one of the most voluptuous women I have ever seen a mom a cook in her own right as well as being a spokesperson and actress they too have a partnership that represents characteristics and examples of how men should get their shit together and figure it out I'll end with an actor sorry I won't end with an actor I'll end with a political figure but the actor is Benedict Cumberbatch he's been very vocal about his roles and the and the fact that his acting needs to have consideration for the story and if the story doesn't consider the role of women it's not something he's going to participate in the last one I'll mention to you is also a couple or part of a couple Prince Henry and his lovely wife 
Uh, they have, oh gosh, talk about uh, slings and arrows. Oh my gosh. Uh, from their own family. Those are examples that I hope will set off our conversation in contrast to the first list that I gave you. So here's a question for both of you with that information. I'll take a breath because I don't breathe very often. I just kind of get <laughs> after it. Uh, question for both of you. So what questions do you get from men that disrespect your skills and powers most often? Let me start with Pam. I would say probably not even getting the question. <laughs> that's I love. That's a good one. That is so true, Pam. That is so true. Because you're just yes. you're just not asked, right? Correct. And so give me the ca give me the categories of decision making and power centers that the questions are not asked in. Future strategies, roll out of new products, um, uh, you know. Uh, uh, Succession planning. Oh, um, oh, that's a good process. one. That's a big one. What, Pam? Yeah, just processes, procedures. Yes, processes. Really, anything. We have to be smart and we have to be very vocal and step forward in presenting ideas because we're really not asked a lot. Now, I'm going to give you, to that point, guys, and your answers, uh, that you bring up such a great point, uh, a medical cellular level point. That are the, that's a difference between men and women that men do not know, and if they did, I don't know if they'll respect it. As, as human beings grow, a, a girl and a boy from infancy, the amygdala in their brain matures faster for women. Now, that part About of- 40 years. Well, <laughs> I'll, give you some, I'll give you some dates on that too, to, to your, your okay. comment. Um, as, as we know, girls tend to grow faster physically, but their amygdala is the center for those elements of thinking related to planning and strategic thinking. So that's why little girls over the years when in a male dominated culture, uh, which we still have components of, were, were thought of as being the planners, Susie homemakers, put the units together. Well, okay, that's a very narrow and chauvinistic viewpoint, but that's what we have. Well, why don't we take it from a more uh, complete level and say, look at if we're gonna not ask questions, it shouldn't be in the planning area, because women have a more mature center in their brain to that point. And if you really want your company to grow and be really progressive, you might want to take advantage of that skill set that is organic. It's part of their makeup. I'm not dissing men; they eventually catch up once they get past 25. They start to kind of catch up. But up until their late teens and early 20s, men have a muted sense and capability of being strategic thinkers and planners in comparison to women. That's just the reason. And then at 25, they have to learn it. And how long does it take them to do that? And culturally, are they supported to think that way? That's nope. the other issue. Socially, culturally, it, 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 and I encourage them on that road. Uh, it, it's, it's, uh, it's just a shame because this isn't a, you know, I've, I've worked with wonderful men and I've worked with wonderful women, but it, it it's difficult for all of us, whichever gender we are, that in our personal lives, you know, we're sort of, we want to recognize differences, right? But when you get into work, you can't just take that all off and I wish we could. We're just dealing with human beings, regardless of it, whether it's male or it's female. But cultural and social and family, uh, 
uh, influences, uh, it just it just makes it a very difficult thing for people yeah. to 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 change what might already be sort of ingrained in them, and that's both for me. So Pam, with that background that we've just shared, what what have you tried in, in an effort to stop men from mansplaining? Um, it's a good question. And I know Shelly's going to probably agree with me on this, but what happens is I try to validate my experience, right? And there's multiple things that I'll do. One, like, I feel like I either need to, like, pull my hair back, wear a blazer, just so visually you're looking at me and maybe it's not as feminine. So in your brain, it's like, okay. Um, I'll try to validate my experience and tell you why I'm able to provide this information. Um, but I think that sometimes when I, I have spoken up, it's seen as um, dramatic. Um, when I'm just like, I'm just trying to flag, you know, something that potentially is a future potential pitfall that I've seen and I've experienced in the past. But I feel like I have to validate why I'm saying that. Here's my experience. Here's what I'm offering. And then like, she's being dramatic. No, I'm providing some information <laughs> um, based on my experience. I feel it's been something that's definitely been a frustration of mine uh, coming from the business side of things and publicly traded companies that I've worked at uh, multiple. And you know, some have been amazing and some people aren't. And like Shelly said, some people, we've worked with some amazing people in our careers, but there's definitely that one, if there is one or two that really it's, it's hurtful and it's, it's unprofessional and it's, Pam, Pam, when you when you've made the effort to do the things you've done, how do you know the man gets it? That he learned from you how to change his behavior? Is there a certain move, facial expression? <laughs> do, do they actually take what you say and actually practice something? Or what, how do you know? You don't, I guess. I guess in the future. What are you going to so say? Pam, I would I would say, in my experience, it's when you cover their butts about something. Oh, that's you a... You saved them. You saved them. They weren't listening. They went down a wrong road. They come back to you in a panic. You re, you know, reorient and reconstruct and push them out there and they do well. You save their butts. That's when they begin to see you of value. When it hits home to them and when it, when it matters in terms of their performance and how they're seen, and you've affected that, then they begin to trust you. But it takes it takes a lot to get. There. All right. So would you agree, Pam? I mean, yes. Yes. You, you say I've seen you say so many <laughs> men's butts. I, I I know at least one of them. <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking of two in particular, Pam. And you know who I'm talking about. I mean, really, they depended on you, but it it took a took a while. And even then, after the first or even second time, it isn't as if they. At the very beginning of a project, they come to Pam or me and say, hey, what do you think? Uh, it's usually when they're in trouble or they can't think of it. So, Shelly, at what age should we begin to train the male species to respect and honor not only females, but humanity in general? Because if they're not honoring females, they're gonna, it's going to spill over into some other area. You know, somebody of color, somebody of a diminished capacity. Right. It, it, so when That's do right. we start training them? Well, you know, as a mother, I had to think about this, right? Because I had I had twins late in life, and I had a boy and girl. So uh -huh. I've seen the very in, ingrained differences in the same household with the same messages, how different they can be and how different they can respond to things. And I would say it, you have to do it from the very beginning, from the very beginning of when they can understand what you're saying. And, and foundationally, yes, humans and just humankind. And then on top of that, reinforce messages or dis de-enforced, 
you know, sort of pull back from messages that they either hear and or, you know, they, they sort of parrot from their friends yeah. and take those on one by one as they happen. It's just critical. I mean, I mean, one of my biggest things is my son is 14 and, and I'm trying so hard and I've tried since he was a baby to always, and his, his father too, try to raise him so that he is respectful, not only of women, but of every human being, regardless of race, creed, color, social, economic positioning. Now, you try so hard. Pam, you'll relate to this because I, I have Jewish guilt that I'm thrust into routinely. Um, and so I've had grandmothers and aunties tell me, you know, I, I'm going to influence you from womb to tomb. You, you can't get away from me. I, and, I, and when I was younger, I'd go, ha, 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 and I didn't quite understand. And then I've, I've lost, regretfully, I've lost some family members, and they truly are still in my head. They're on my shoulder, it, uh, whatever the environment is that triggers it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask the same question to you, Pam, in a different way. When, when you are working with people, with people, do, is it worth your time to train them, to take the time to train them? And if it is, why do you make that effort? When you say train them, train them in what capacity? Any capacity? Yeah, to, to be better human beings as men, to treat women with more respect, because it's it's a it seems to me as a delay. You know, like you're just you're not productive if you take step into that space and try to change their mindset, move their just oh i would be tired i'm tired just thinking about it <laughs> well i mean i don't know how much you can change people but what i always say is i don't know what i don't know and i love to give everyone that benefit of the doubt and you may because some people might not realize what they're doing or how something is coming across and you know shame on me for not even telling you if this is making me feel a certain way or how this is coming across because i can't expect you to change it if you're not aware of it or not aware of how it's affecting me so i always um but you know try to make a point of hey just can we talk about that a little bit and i just want to understand where you're coming from because this is how it came across to me and i want to make yeah. sure we're on the same page um so i always try to make the concerted effort just to have a conversation because like oh my god i'm so sorry i had no idea i wasn't even thinking you know and again, it's, and it's personal and, and you, how you interpret things, it's subjective. Yeah, right? and yeah. And things may come across one way to some person. So um, I just always try to have the conversation just so we're all, how are we feeling? How did you feel about that? Or how did that, what was your intention? This is how it came across to me. Because can't fix it if we don't know about it or change it or you know, at least be aware of it. You know, Pam, I know that you, in the organizations you've worked for and with, you, you because of your role, touch a lot of different departments, a lot of slices because of the, the job descriptions you've had. So when you have those moments when you're trying to make a man aware of their behavior, the words they say, and, and perhaps the, the incongruent nature of what they say doesn't fit, do you ever use that, hey, you know, there are other departments that could be benefit from your understanding, your better understanding of this, and that, you know, are you now aware of what I'm talking about here? Yes, I am. Okay, fine. Well, go to your department or talk to these other people because that could help them improve their performance. Is, that, is there ever that help, is that ever helpful to let them know that it's not necessarily you personally telling them, but it's about a company cultural benefit that they could help support in their behavior? Or lack thereof. Well, let's show You know what I would say is, um, having been at sort of a very high EVP level, I had more latitude. And what I mean by that is that what you're asking is much easier to dispense and do to those who report up and to you, right? Mm -hmm. up, and, up and to you at all levels. That's a much easier 
it's much easier to have that conversation and that sort of coaching. If, if you can also do it with peers, depending on the relationship, you can do it with peers for sure. You can pull them aside and go, what was that? I thought you had my back. What are you doing? And, and, and that's, that, that's possible, but it's very difficult to do it above. It's a very difficult thing to do it above. I had, um, I, I just want to tell you just very briefly, I had a conversation with a CEO, public company, and there was a woman on the board. There was only one woman on the board at the time, and she was new. For years, it had just been all men. And Pam and I worked at the same company at the same time. And uh, we both entered in a very male-dominated environment. It changed over 10 years, but in the beginning, it was all male. And she, there was one board member did not like me at all. I was told this by multiple people. I never spent one minute alone with her, never had a one-on-one -on -one conversation. She knew nothing about me. I was at a, a, a rare one-on-one -on -one, uh, lunch with the CEO. And, he, and I said, what is it? I don't understand. She doesn't even know me. And he said, Shelly, it's a woman thing. And I said, excuse me? He said, it's a woman thing. And I said, what, what does that mean? He said, you don't know what I mean by a woman thing? And I said, no, I really don't know what you mean. And he said, let me put it this way. You're tall, you're attractive, and you're smart. She's just smart. That was his answer to me. I mean, I was absolutely floored that, that this conversation was even happening. But the reality of it is these, these gender biases mm. and these, these, the, the, the way we re respond and react to one another is not always just from the men treating us the way they treat us as women, but women. It, that's another thing where boys are taught to hang out together and they have team sports and they're just, they watch each other's backs and they have all those phrases about boys before, you know, you know the phrases I won't say. They have all that, right? They're, they're, they're just great women. Uh, we have sports and we do that, but it's not, it's some, there's something culturally that's happening there that makes it different yeah. and that's brought into the workplace. And women, historically, Pam is an exception. I will tell you, I wouldn't say, I would say this if she wasn't on the call. Pam is an exception. There are, women aren't always great about supporting women. Um, and so I think that we have to look at both genders and each other and human beings as a whole. We have to get back to the place where we just level set to decency about and kindness to one another and respect to one another regardless. So That's a very challenging thing. Let me take you back to that scenario then, Shelley, where, where the, the gentleman shared this with you about it's a woman thing and you, you, he, he explained it to you, what would be his role in, in acknowledging and respecting the power of the other woman who didn't have the full list of compliments that you do, but had some of them? What could he have done differently as a man to respect her position and, 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 it's, and maybe even in support of joining the two of you together culturally? That's exactly what he should have done. And, and he wasn't that kind of leader. He really should have recognized the, the compliments. She was she was highly educated and very smart. I mean, just off the charts. I was of no threat to her in terms of a career. And and if he would have just approached her in a different way, counseled me, I reported to him, joined us together maybe in a lunch as sort of a get to know, and primed it by telling her the good things about what he saw in me as a leader reporting to him, would have made all the difference in the world. But he was in a position where he was I was afraid of her, but she held a lot of keys to, to, to things for him yeah. that her one vote mattered the most. So he, uh, he, he didn't choose to go down that road. So Pam, with that scenario in place, let's, I'm going to not 
totally shift gears, but I'm going to ask about, you know, the rewards for the talented folks you have, both men and women, and, and ask you to, to share with me your experiences with, with pay equity. You know, we all know it's, it's not in the place it should be. There are some industries that are making an effort to try to do better at it, but I know in, in the world I work in, the sports entertainment world with executives, behind the camera, uh, in front of the camera even still today, uh, and then the corporate experience is primarily in uh, high-end services, law, accounting, uh, medical. Um, it, it's just not there, and there needs to be some effort made in that. So, Pam, in, in, in your experiences, what have been the things that need to be done to, to change the paradigm of women to, to ask for it, ask for more money? And it, is that even possible? And if it is possible, who do they talk to? Where in the organizational structure do they go? It's a great question, and it's something I think we've all struggled with, um, and it needs multiple capacities. One, from an actor perspective, being an actress, I'm part of sag after I'm a union, so it's very fair and equitable, and there's numbers, and it's set up, and, and I feel very comfortable in, on the acting side of things. Um, as far as in the, in the business world, you know, there were there was definitely um, inconsistencies and it was brought to light and I know that you know companies that I've been part of definitely made a concerted effort to start looking at that and looking at let alone you know gender whatever but where in the country are you located because maybe that was part of it and it wasn't just because it was male or female but somebody was in a, you know New York versus yeah. Kansas like that. Um, so I know there's definitely concerted efforts um, being made and I would say that now I mean it's hard to have that conversation like hey I feel like I deserve a raise and we've all had that and you've got to put together and that's what you know reviews are for and and rewards and bonuses and quarterly annual you know assessments but I think that comes from the top of a company and in some of the companies I'm working for now which they've been wonderful with really looking at what that looks like regardless of who you are, what your gender, race, color, age, whatever that is, because I think ageism is also a thing, which is not today's topic, but we can talk about that at a later time. <laughs> please invite us back for that one, please. Okay, go ahead. Like, good being as a woman over 50, um, you know, sometimes, you know, I do feel I have a lot of value. I think companies are really focusing on the qualitative analytics um, and quantitative. Right, so they can really just base it on metrics, and when it's metric metric based, I think that is when you can start to really align those and ensure that everything is consistent. Because otherwise, it's and it also is interesting because sometimes maybe somebody was uh, grandfathered in or brought in at a higher salary, and you've got to try to make those balances. And I think companies in, I mean, that I've been involved with are definitely aware and trying to you know reconcile that. You know, you bring up some interesting points, and I want to throw this question out to both of you based on what you just said. I have been recommending uh, as much time without seeing the face of the candidate, without knowing gender, to the point you made about the statistics, the measurement devices, the successes they've had. And, and we take, I've had HR staff take names off of resumes and any gender-related language and pronouns within the resumes so that the, the, the male egos that still haven't altered their behavior <laughs> can't use that as a, an excuse, both consciously and subconsciously. What do you think... What do you, a great idea. What do you, okay, that's good. Go ahead. So, we remember, Shelly, when we were looking, like, we both, you know, left and we were trying different careers and things, and I was, I was being told a lot that I was overqualified and... Um, 
So I told Kelly I was going to change one. I was going to change my name to Paul instead of Pam. It's going to be Paul Bernal um, and see if it made a difference. It's got a good ring and to it. It does. Kind of yeah, it's good. Like, Paul Bernal. I like it too. Paul Bernal. Right? Right? Love it. And then I was going to um, change. And then I started taking off my graduation because people were saying I was overqualified. I'm like, what do you mean overqualified? <laughs> like, I've got all this experience. It doesn't make sense to me. Um, and then I told Shelly, remember I said we should do a test and take my name off? Um, yes. yes. To see if it made a difference because yes. I've got all this experience. And I had um, a former employee of mine. We both applied to a similar, well, actually the same role in another company. He got an interview and I didn't. And I had more experience. And... And I'll tell you what Pam did do, Pam, if you don't mind my sharing. And I wasn't so sure I was for it. And when she was, you know, we were talking about it and um, she actually uh, changed her title, dumbed it down, it took out some of her qualifications and experience and got a job. It did. Now it may have been strategically um, successful, but why do we have to do that? I, I mean, it's just like crazy that, you know, we have to, you know, it's sort of like the same thing Pam said earlier. We have to kind of change our appearance and wear something up to our necks and pull our hair back and be real serious and God forbid, don't laugh too much and, you know, don't smile too much. And it just, there's so many little things that we sometimes have to alter out who we are as a person yeah. in order to be deemed acceptable, yeah. promotable, and supportable in, in a corporate environment. So um, I've had some pretty successful tests with it, and I, I've warned people that I've asked to try it. Let's not do anything too far that alters one's impression of ourselves. Like to your, what you mentioned, Shelley, about altering the way we look and being more masculine in the look so that we get consideration for who we are. And I said, <clears throat> one of the ways we're, what, the reason we're doing this is because we need to change the process. The process cannot support an overly masculine frame of mind. It needs to be neutral. It needs to be in a position where the quality of the individual is considered on its merits. And then we can bring in, when we get down to the bottom, the top three or the top five, whatever it is, then we can bring in the more social and cosmetic components of what defines a person because they may have a female boss <laughs> or they may have a male boss who's a little less masculine than others. And we then you can bring those things in. But we haven't yet changed the cultural dynamics based on age differences. Like for example, when there's executives in their 50s and 60s, they're evaluating candidates in a different frame of mind yes. than, than the, the ones that are setting up the interviews who are in their 20s and 30s. Because I've had that experiment going. Well, um, right now we've got some. I've got policy changes in companies now because of it. Uh, so the data, yeah, the data is showing that they're getting higher pr productive people uh, that bring more. Cre th the intangibles that I talk about in athletics. How do you create a, a creative wide receiver? Well, it's easier to, to to do a creative executive than it is a creative wide receiver. But in both cases, what do they look like? How do I get there? Um, and so with the executive side of things in business, we get a, a cleaner process that supports the thinking and the ideologies of where the company wants to go. And, and typically when we remove in the early stages the gender uh, references that are ingrained in someone's head, they can't go there to, to clarify a choice. They have to stay in the numbers that are the basis for where we want to go as a company. 
And then the really exciting part is when they actually see the people then finally, they go, whoa. I've actually had executives in an interview, a panel interview say, I didn't know you, you were a woman. That just blows me away. Well, that sets a whole dialogue up. Yeah, it sure does. <laughs> but, the, the, but the genuine remark validates the experiment. Well, I am curious, if you don't mind my asking, mm -hmm. how does this work with today's corporate awareness? And in, in most cases, um, part of their strategy is to make sure they have a very diverse workforce. How does it work for because it seems like those two might work against each other in some ways. How does, how does that work? Yeah, the, the DEI component comes in at the, the final, the candidates that are in the final throws. You know, so we've so if they, all three top candidates walk in and they're white males or they're, you know, then what do we do? You know, and so I'm just, just curious, another conversation for another day. Yeah, but it, it, it has merits on the gender side of things because if it's, if it's all men, we've got the flip side, the counterintuitive flip side here with a, a women-run company and then all of a sudden they're surprised that all the candidates are men. And they, they have a mindset, culturally, to be diverse. Well, but the best candidates are, right. are men. And we, we put, right. we put a, same thing is true with gender or with uh, ethnicity and cultural differences. Uh, all the candidates were of uh, a brown or black nature in a predominantly Caucasian-based company, both in ideology and product. Right. And they go, right. oh, damn, we didn't even think a, a black person could think that way. Well, guess, yeah, oh, yeah, oh, yeah. And yet, that's the reality. Look, in, the, in, to, in today's news, Clarence Thomas. I mean, come on. I know. Who would think I that know. he would have that mindset as a man of color? We, we, over, we overgeneralize and oversimplify the influence of gender and ethnicity in the ability to just deliver results. If you want productivity, it's not fully immersed in gender and ethnicity. It's immersed. I, I would dare say to your point then, we don't as executives of companies or as companies have to say, I'd like us to be in a place where we didn't have to say, we have to have a quota, we have to have so many of X, Y, and Z. When if we went with your method, what you're saying, we could get to that place just naturally. We just get there. And, I love and, it. and here and to what we're just talking about, here's a question for bring bring Pam back into this. Pam, you've been as an actress um, and a, as, a, as a senior executive in a company and working with all levels of companies. There are moments that the culture knows that they're really looking at their culture. They know there are environments within their culture that open the door for abuses. What are some things, Pam, that you've noticed that cultures need to do in their environments to make sure abuses don't happen. And I'm talking about economic abuses, physical abuses, uh, gender abuse. I mean, you, you name it. We know there are things that can be done in the culture to diminish or remove those possibilities. What are some examples you've experienced? Well, there's multiple things, but I've had some of that come from like there's people that aren't on the same, in the same state, right? And so maybe somebody you report to and somebody else is in California or whatever. But I think that education, both having programs, um, explaining like, this is not okay. If this does occur, outlets where you can feel comfortable giving that information without any retaliation, because that's it's a fear, you know, and you can be retaliated against for speaking up or 
having an opinion or flagging something that maybe other people have also flagged and I mean it's it's a problem. I think having those, you know, companies have been doing those classes where you can either say things like, like, you know, I have a flag or this is happening and HR will come and say, if anyone is experiencing this, please let me know. But again, sometimes it doesn't feel safe because that person is usually, the person that people are complaining about is usually brought in and it's addressed and then they can't help but feeling, you know, attacked and on the defense and there is maybe just like, yeah, and then that retaliation. Um, I think it's just as much um, education and transparency as possible. So Pam, what would you do, and this may be hypothetical, you may not have experience with this, but what would you do with someone, I'm not going to say what gender, someone who is socially muted? That's just part of who they are. And I, I deal with all kinds of experiences with every kind of modality of educational capability from just off the charts, genius smart to the ADHDs and everything in between on the spectrum. And many times that creates social muted conditions. They just don't get it. And you could insult them all day long and they would not know that you they were insulted. What do you do about that in the cultures? Are we doing anything about that kind of misunderstanding? Or are we just taking what they do as, as reality and, and persecuting them for it without consideration for how they might not even be aware and socially adept? It's a great question. It's a bit of what I was touching on earlier where it's just having that conversation. And it is hard to have that conversation and say, hey, I just wanted to bring this up. And to Shelly's point, it might be somebody that you're reporting to that's above your head <laughs> and you might not feel comfortable having that. Obviously that conversation is tough, but that's what you're, you know, if you don't feel comfortable talking to your manager, we always say like, we'll talk to someone in human resources. But again, it goes back to that comfort level of feeling like, am I gonna be retaliated against? Am I like a whistleblower? Like, what am I viewed upon? And it, it does happen and it's unfortunate. I just think um, for those people that aren't aware of it, it's just that is part of the company's and management's responsibility to, I mean, do assessments and feedback be addressed at a different level, not from like an employee having to say that. Like that is a company's responsibility to be looking at, you know, at their team and, and feeling confident that people are addressed and handling things and um, in accordance to how they should be. Yeah, and many and many times, um, Pam, we we as a society globally use different vehicles to send the messages to people that have a difficult time understanding because they're just kind of like, oh, you know, they just deer in headlights sometimes with certain social behaviors. They don't get it. Um, we use theater. We use movies. We use wonderful comedic movies. You see where I'm going with this, Pam? We have wonderful the theatrical s scenes like an Invisible, uh, a, a film that is soon to be produced. I'm so... <laughs> <laughs> causing my fingers. Um, but Pam, I want you to help me with this infomercial and explain to everybody how wonderful Invisible is and the awards it's recently won um, at the film festivals. So I am a co-founder and owner of a company called Firefly Rev Studios with these two amazing women, Krista Gaino and Laura Carson. They're brilliant. And it's interesting because talk about diversity. We all have different backgrounds, right? And what we come from. And we seek to embrace that about each other because we know we all have different perspectives on things. So we purposely ask, hey, what do you think about that? Because we all have different you know, backgrounds and perspectives and we embrace that about each other and being an all female owned company, owned and operated. Um, Krista and Laura, 
wrote this fantastic full feature comedy called Invisible. Oh, see, Ella, my dog, loves it as well. Yeah, there you go. Ella wants to participate. Love her. The neighborhood of dogs are getting very excited. Yep. Um, they've recently, they're now in the finalists for the Atlanta Film Festival for this hilarious uh, comedy. It's beautiful. It's full feature, or full feature comedy. It's so funny. We did a table read. It was about a year and a half ago, I think. Um, and Will Forte was in it. Tony Cavallaro, Edie Patterson. We had, I mean, it was just like an amazing... Oh my God, it was amazing. And it's so funny. Yeah, it and I'm really excited to see what's coming next. We're speaking with some potential distributors and, and we really want to get this made and we're excited. And it's fun being, you know, female-owned company. We're embracing and empowering what we can control, right? Um, and during a pandemic and moving forward and we're excited. We have this great roster of projects and we're, we're excited to bring these and we're looking at NFTs and VR and it's so exciting to be on the forefront of all of this fantastic technology. And yes, we're girls. And we embrace it and we love it. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's funny because being invisible, hence the name, is somebody turns 40, a woman, and feeling, you know, invisible and literally turns invisible. So it's just, it's very, um, it speaks to kind of a lot of things that we experience. Well, as you know, and trying to be as humble as possible in my comments, the writing, the setup of the, the storyline is so socially relevant and so tongue-in-cheek. And, and, and I'm grateful to be able to have the opportunity to participate with uh, Krista and Laura and Pam in that venture. And I'll say it, if anybody else, if nobody else does, you were the first to put on a virtual table read. A virtual table read, as though it was a feature film, but it was a virtual table read, and it was so wonderful with Will Forte and the crew that participated in that, and you as well. You you had your your moments on on screen in the virtual sense, exactly. Um, now, as I as I say that, I want to shift to to Shelly and make sure that Shelly get your moment here about what are you doing right now? What's what's exciting about what's in the world of of Shelly? <laughs> Well, funny you should ask. Um, you know, when I, uh, the last place I worked, and Pam and I worked together in a very different department. She worked sort of um, on the digital distribution of advertising side, and I worked uh, in a, what turned out to be one department after another. I sort of pulled it all together and created a business within a business called Fathom, Fathom Entertainment, or Fathom Events, excuse me, Fathom Events. And uh, it was eventually sold sold to, the, to AMC Regal and Cinemark and they took it private. I had an opportunity to stay or go. My kids were then seven and I didn't even know them. I mean, I was just always working and on a plane somewhere. So I decided I would take a step back, do a little consulting so I was at least staying in the game, but really focus on my kids. And I thought when I got into junior high, I would maybe start to poke around and maybe get back in if the market would happen. And then COVID hit. So I've been <laughs> consulting through this period of time. And it's just now that um, I do get calls from uh, from time to time. Pam, for one of the companies that she is working with, um, set me up for a position. And you'll be interested to know that they didn't ever see me on camera or anything. It was all on the phone. And they kept moving me right along based on my skill set, uh, which I really appreciate about this company. It didn't work out. Uh, because of reorg, but the point is, is that that was a really good, good experience. But I'm really um, excited about my next chapter. I've just um, gotten a call from a company that is working with me, uh, looking for a potential opportunity that meets what I'm looking for, which is sort of a startup kind of. Oh, excellent! Place. It's really what I love. Yeah. I love startups. I've done them my whole life, and that's what I'm looking for. And so, um, to be continued. I don't know what's coming, but something's coming uh, very soon. Well, it's always. 
as I say to anybody I deal with, it's great to have choices. And especially if the choices are self-created and, and uh, imagined through your visioning processes to, to bring them to fruition because it's, it guarantees almost that you own it. You know, if it's your vision and you move it forward, you own it. Too often people are given things that they don't fully, aren't fully invested in. Well, part of that is being, being in a position to be able to choose, to be able to strategize and, and move forward. I mean, I'm, not everybody has that uh, advantage, we, you know, working paycheck to paycheck, but I would say to those folks that it feels like you don't, but you do. So there's, there's always outside of whatever you have to do, there's always time to find out and figure out what you want to do and create it for yourself. There just is, and Pam has done that her way. So with these experiences recently, as well as the conversation we've had about the interviewing process, when, when it's a project, you've got a plan, you've got this business idea, reflecting back on the chapters of your lives when you did that, when you know that the audience you're going to be delivering to are men, and men exclusively, what do you do differently in your approach to the presentation? I personally focus on data numbers because I know people receive information differently. And just from my experience and people that I've worked with too, we kind of learn how each other receives information. And I focus more on <clears throat> data and numbers and the facts. And sometimes for women, it's more on the creative side. It just depends on the audience and the type of people. Um, but I usually focus on data and statistics and back to facts. Just what I've done that seems to work and get through. Shelly, how about you? Do you add anything to that or just stay you with know, what I Pam says? I, I, to be honest, I think it's different depending on what the project is and who it is really that I'm, that I'm trying to influence. I mean, so it's different every time. I mean, there have been, I will admit, situations where I've sent in one of my male SVPs instead of me going to pitch it because yeah. I thought it would be received better. You know, for me, I always focus on what's the end goal. It's not about fixing gender and culture wars at work. It's how do I get to where I need this division to be and this project needs to be moved forward. So sometimes I've done that and, and I don't like that I have to do that, but I've done it and I would do it again if I needed to. But there are other times where you don't wait until the meeting, right? You start, you start influencing the influencers of the individual you're trying to sway. So you start working in advance of that meeting, trying to get other soldiers on your side so that when you do come into that meeting, you're not alone. And that's a strategy that usually works as well. So, and then I'd like him, facts, figures, yeah. bottom line. And how do, I, how do I make sure that the individual in that room that I need to influence the most benefits from what I'm saying? Buy what, what, yeah, the buy. I like. I'm glad you said buy-in because I'm going to ask you guys both about how do you avoid slipping into that ends justify the means trench and staying so you stay true to the purposeful intent. Like for example, with me, and I'm I'm a unique situation. I've I've fired more clients than I've kept because they didn't align, and not everybody can say that. I mean, I've, I'm kind of spoiled because of what I've accomplished and what I've kind of trenched for myself. Uh, in this world, but not everybody can do that. Where do you guys sit on that? Ends justifying the mean kind of slippery slope. Yeah. Gotcha. Uh, I guess, I guess, it's my dog. Every time we have a car, she's like, I'm leaving. It's <laughs> <laughs> um, <clears throat> a good question. I think to Shelly's point too, like I focus on the goal and what we need to do to get there. And if you're planning it out and you're looking at, I mean, there's so many things that go into that, right? Yep. Like yep. Budget, timing, what's the goal, what's the end result, what are we all working towards? 
um, and taking any potential like egos, information, and who does it benefit out, I guess just focusing, focusing on just from having a project management background and my brain just thinks that way. I just look at what's the goal, when do we want it? How, do, how are you defining success? To me, that is a great question to ask. How do we define success? Because that looks different to different people. And I want to make sure everyone is on the same page with what that looks like. And then how do we get there? Because people may have, again, it goes back to, I always like to make sure we're on the same page with what we're expecting and clarifying expectations, because that's huge. And if you have that at the beginning, then together you can create what you need to create with the same, with all feeling validated and confident in success of that outcome. Clarifying expectations is a constant statement for me, especially in the first meetings I have with people. So many people, however, and they get in trouble, they don't ask early enough about what are the expectations so that when you dial it down to present the project, it's clear, it's on, on point. So have you ever had reluctance from anybody giving you that information so that you can set expectations? you know, in, in advance to your, your presentations? No, I haven't actually, because I you, you keep asking until you get the question, because until you Good. get the answer, because together, like, we're gonna define this. I'm like, what does this look like? What does this look like to you? And not an open, not like a closed question of like, hey, does this sound good? Yes, no, what does that mean to you? When you say success, what does that mean? And what numbers, and what time frame? Getting, getting very specific, so we're on the same page, because I might say, oh, this is what this lounge chair looks like. And my, in my mind, it's this fabulous lounge chair. And Shelly might say, no, I need a lounge chair that does a pedicure also, right? So we both have like different versions. That sounds fabulous, by the way. <laughs> I, I think we may have different versions of what that lounge chair looks like. So I think it's, you need to clarify and ask those questions until you are very clear on what that is, what that looks like and how you define. When you say success, what does that mean? Because I might say, hey, I finished it on time. And they might say, well, no. I needed it to do this, that, and the other, and we didn't discuss that. So you have to have it very clear. And I also think it's smart <clears throat> to have this all documented. So when it does come back, you can always take out personal conversations and refer back to the agreed upon document and what that success was look like, how it looked, and how it was defined. You bring up a point there I want to share. I just want to share with you. There are times, I'm so sorry. There are times when, you know, I've had a boss say, you tell me, Shelly. And you I'm, tell me, you're the one who's in charge here. You know, you, I, have, I have had that, so that's exactly what I do. You both are touching on a point I want to emphasize to you, that especially for younger people. Self-efficacy is one of the top characteristics that are difficult for young people in particular to practice. And we don't train them well enough at younger ages on how to ask good questions, how to be inquisitive, even though it may, may be curious kids, privately with their friends, when it comes yeah. to the more consequential outcomes, business transactions, looking for a job, they, they don't have a good sense of feeling about self-efficacy. And that means I know myself well enough, I will ask the question about what is success? What do you expect of me? And, and, tend to, and nowadays with technology, we don't have to wait. We can go really, really fast. Back, yes. at, back in my day, we had time to think about it, and we had the casual nature of being able to kind of wait. Well, no, not the case anymore. So we need to match our training to those abilities in both technology and human capabilities to move this forward. So and I, communication.